0: Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Bravlich and thank you for joining me for the podcast. We've had some developments overnight um, in the Julian Assange case where the uh, Department of Justice in the US has actually revised a series of documents related to the case and it's actually, it's taken the temperature a bit further up uh, in the in the publicity stage with Daily Beast reporting um, the updated documentation. Uh, What it all means is a mystery, will be a mystery to some of us. Uh, Greg Barnes is here to help us understand all of this. Greg, uh, thank you for joining me.
1: Good to be here, Tom.
0: Now, what is the current status of the Assange case in relation to the United States?
1: So what's happened is that the uh, lawyers for the United States Justice Department have filed a, a what's called a superseding indictment. So just to take you back, there was an indictment filed about this time last year with 18 charges. Uh, there's been a superseding indictment filed now which still has the same charges. But in the narrative, uh, in other words, the sort of the factual matrix as the prosecution would have it, uh, for, the, for the case, um, they are now moving away from relying on Chelsea Manning. Chelsea Manning, of course, was the US soldier who was alleged to have given material to Julian Assange um, and are now saying that effectively uh, Assange was looking to talk to hackers and recruit hackers from around Europe. Um, And, uh, you know, this goes to show that, uh, you know, he's not a journalist, he's not entitled to the First Amendment protections in the United States. Um, What's curious about it is that uh, uh, they were given a deadline to provide any new material, I think midway, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, they failed to meet that deadline and now they've only given the defence until the 10th of July, or the defence have got until the 10th of July to respond. Given that Julian's health conditions are poor, given that his prison conditions are poor, given that, for example, you can't take paperwork into the prison or computers into the prison, it's going to be exceptionally difficult for his lawyers to be able to get proper instructions about this superseding indictment. Um, And uh, it's yet another example of abusive process in this case.
0: Can you take people through uh, what the conditions are at the moment where he's at. He's in Belmarsh Prison, correct?
1: So he's in Belmarsh Prison, which is a maximum security prison just out of London. Um, he's been confined to uh, his cell for 20, up to 23 hours a day co- uh, under the COVID regime. Um, he wasn't able to attend the last mention of his uh, hearing, uh, and so he's had some considerable difficulties uh, in uh, um, getting better, as it were, um, it's almost impossible for anyone to get better uh, if you've got existing health conditions in Belmarsh Prison, and certainly uh, his conditions are what many of us, I think, most people would regard as intolerable.
0: You mentioned before that it's difficult for him to get access to lawyers. Uh, at the present time, um, can you describe how much access he's able to? Uh, he has uh, able to have had over the past little while?
1: Well, uh, his lawyers have complained to the courts on a number of occasions about difficulties of getting access, and that's why uh, there's been talk of bail. Um, And that hasn't changed, on my understanding. I spoke to the team... uh, I spoke to members of the team in London this morning. That hasn't changed. Uh, The the difficulties in getting uh, material uh, means that... um, Particularly, for example, getting... um, paperwork to him, uh, getting responses uh, from uh, uh, from him, uh, all of that is very difficult, uh, made much more difficult than it should be by security arrangements.
0: Um, to what extent are the lawyers able to communicate with him, Greg?
1: Well, look, they, they can communicate, but it's difficult. Um, you know, we uh, It's difficult when you've got a client uh, who's in a case where there are volumes of paperwork and you've got all these restrictions on you about what you can and can't take into the prison. Having dealt with these sorts of cases or similar sorts of cases in Australia, uh, sometimes prison authorities uh, make an exception so that you can take materials with you because you have to. Uh, In the UK, they've been extremely bloody minded in their treatment of Julian and uh, have made it very, very difficult for his lawyers to get proper instructions.
0: Um, You mentioned that there have been cases you've seen unfold in a similar fashion in Australia. Um, uh, How do you deal with uh, circumstances where the client is unable to look at uh, what the prosecution is putting up against them?
1: Uh, Well, look, I mean, what I'm saying to you is that uh, one of the difficulties that people have more generally with, uh, if you're acting for people who are charged with serious criminal offences, or in Julian's case, the uh, 18 charges where they're seeking to extradite him to the United States to face a criminal trial, and you've got a prosecution which is producing volumes of paperwork and materials and evidentiary materials, you've got to have full access to that with your client. I mean, if your client was out on the street, they can come into your your office or chambers and go through material. If they are being held in what are quite intolerable conditions in prison, um, it makes it very difficult. It's it's very unfair to the defence. And uh, in this particular case, uh, the fact that the defence have got a deadline of 10 July to produce um, uh, evidence or to put evidence uh, before the court, um, submissions on evidence before the court, to throw this piece of paper at them uh, across the desk, you know, 50-odd pages on the 24th or 25th of June is extraordinary behaviour by uh, lawyers for the US.
0: Where does this process go? I mean, this is a this is a US document we're talking about. Yep. He's in the UK. Um, where, where is the process at in terms of the UK legal proceedings at the present time?
1: The extradition proceedings have continued. There have been some uh, uh, changes in in the way in which the case is to be run because of COVID uh the proposal is for there to be i think another hearing i think in september but i may be wrong about that but certainly later in the year and um so that the the timetable has been pushed back considerably um because of partly because of covid but also because of uh, uh there've been issues around uh, julian's health uh and uh the the inadequacy of the court process to deal with this matter uh, the court itself has been difficult. It's now going to be moved. Um, it was a court which was right next door to the prison. Uh, so, you know, there are a range of those sorts of factors that have meant that uh, this has not, not been a good performance by the UK justice system.
0: Now, there are, um, there's obviously uh, the, US, the US stuff going on at the moment, which complicates matters. So even if you... Uh, even if you didn't have the US stuff, there would still be, you know, you'd still base some actions in the UK. There's a the missing link that we haven't spoken about yet, uh, Greg, and that is what's the Australian government doing at the present time?
1: So just just on on that point there, the, the only role for the UK in this is, of course, the fact that he's being held in a UK prison subject to an extradition agreement with the US. OK. Um, the Australian government uh, has done very little, Um Uh, We have um, uh, a minister and a prime minister who, in the view of many Australians, have an obligation to assist an Australian abroad who's facing what is uh, a scandalous case against him, uh, an attack on journalism, um, an attack on the right of people to know about the war crimes that the United States committed in, in Iraq. Um, and they ought to be doing everything that they can to get him out of there. Um, but uh, so far, that hasn't happened. The Australian government, Maurice Payne, I think, has said in recently in a letter to George Christensen MP that Australia won't tolerate any abusive process and would, would intervene if there was abusive process. This is a clear case of abusive process, To to put a document on the table with information that they've had for 10 years, the US, Um, And the Australian government should act. It also should act as a sheer act of humanity because we saw on 60 Minutes last Sunday night Stella Morris, Julian's partner, and their two children. Now, These are young kids who need their dad. Um, And uh, instead of him languishing in uh, maximum security prison, he could be back in the community with his family.
0: Uh, Earlier on, uh, Greg, you mentioned the notion of the First Amendment potentially not applying to people who are not classified as being journalists, I thought the First Amendment had related to freedom of speech
1: period. Uh, the The argument uh, is about uh, American journalists uh, being able to take advantage of it, but uh, not uh, other journalists. And one of the characterisations of this case though has been to say that uh, uh, the the First Amendment won't protect you if you are not an American journalist who's publishing something in the public interest. Now, that's been part of the characterisation of the case by the United States to say that Assange is not a journalist because it strengthens their argument, as they as they perceive it.
0: But it, yeah, let's take the notion of journalist and journalism out of the out of the road uh, for a second, because that's a fascinating semantic debate, Greg. Um, it, it there's a, there, there there was information released. Um, using WikiLeaks as a channel that embarrassed the government, okay? Yeah. Does it really matter what you call the person that uh, facilitated the release of information that embarrassed well, the government?
1: Well, well, it does to the extent that uh, uh, the defences available under US law um, uh, are restricted, Um if you are a journalist, and that's why they haven't, for example, the prosecutors haven't gone after the New York Times, Washington Post and others who published Julian's material, because they say, we're journalists, we've got the right to First Amendment protection when it comes to publication of leaked documents. So the argument in, with, that the prosecution is trying to run in Assange's case is that he's not a journalist.
0: And that, that logically then means that he's treated as a um as an informant, that's broken the law, rather than the journalist breaking a Correct. story.
1: Correct. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right.
0: Now, it, it, one of the things that have uh, that's interested me about this case is the broader implications for freedom of speech and uh, and, and freedom of thought, if you like, uh, particularly in in the light of the discussion I recently had with Crikey's political editor Bernard Keen. How do you see the uh, the implications of the Assange case uh, more broadly?
1: I think it has tremendous ramifications, and all of them negative. Uh, The the ramifications are that uh, you will have journalists and uh, whistleblowers who are trying to do the right thing by their country or do the right thing by uh, by the people of that country who will be very fearful of uh, releasing information and, um, it's part of an authoritarian drive we are seeing to close down freedom of speech. We're seeing it in Australia, we're seeing it uh, in the UK, and we're seeing it now in relation to the United States. And so the Assange case has, uh, uh, you know, is a very important case um, uh, because uh, if Julian Assange loses, you are going to see a chilling effect on uh, the way in which news is reported going forward.
0: Uh, by that you mean that there'll be whistleblowers who'll be extremely reluctant.
1: Yeah, whistleblowers will be extremely reluctant, and uh, you will also have the uh, the case that uh, you know people who, uh, including journalists, you know mainstream so-called mainstream journalists, won't be inclined to publish material.
0: Are you hearing from journalists along the way that have uh, that have indicated that they, they'd be afraid of doing so?
1: I think, it, I think I think most journalists uh, take that view. I, I know that, for example, Tony Walker, a very senior correspondent in this country and a former financial review uh, journalist, uh, has made the point that um, he's no, never been a great fan of Assange, but he's made the point that uh, the, um, uh, you know if, if Assange loses, it will have a, it's a real blow for freedom of speech and certainly freedom of the press.
0: Where do we go to from here? I mean, the, the, the Assange case has got a process to to un, unfold. It's still got to go. I did read that the other day that apparently they managed to get a a radio to him, um, which had, which had been requested for some time, but it didn't didn't materialise until uh, a few days ago. But uh, where does where do we go to in terms of policy terms now, Greg? Here, because there are policy issues that unfold from this in terms of FOI, freedom of uh, freedom of information, uh, whistleblower protection, etc. What are the key issues that need to be grappled with?
1: Well, the key issues are that we need proper protection, constitutional protection for freedom of speech, uh, and we need proper whistleblower legislation which protects whistleblowers and gives them immunity from prosecution. They're the first two key priorities, and they're priorities that need to be pursued.
0: And uh, would you say, sir, that needs to be done urgently?
1: Uh, Of course, it should have been done yesterday. I mean, these are matters that uh, we're seeing uh, increasingly governments cracking down on freedom of speech and freedom of the press. And so we need to push back and we need to make sure we get proper legislative reform and protections.
0: Um, Greg, is there anything? Uh, I mean, the other thing that I wanted to touch on briefly with you uh, is some of the developments in the media over the past 48 hours. Uh, are there any concerns you've got for uh, in terms of transparency uh, in relation to reportage uh, with the, the ABC's cuts? Well,
1: I think the attacks on the ABC have been long-running on the part of the Coalition in particular, and it's part of a war that it's been running against the ABC, and I mean, uh, uh, having said that, of course, the ABC can always spend its money wisely. I think one of the issues for the ABC over the years is it's become like a commercial station. It spends an enormous amount on marketing and promoting so-called stars, Um, and perhaps uh, it ought to be rethinking its mission in the world. And... uh, perceiving its role to be delivery of news rather than worrying about uh, marketing uh, product. (laughs)
0: Okay, Greg. Look, look, thank you for joining me today and talking about this home case, and we'll talk again soon.
1: Thanks, Tom.